Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We need help as far as energy is concerned. You know that. We spoke yesterday with our uh, good friend, Dr. Thierry Bro, Professor Thierry Bro, from Sciences Po in Paris, uh, the energy expert, the former head of energy security for the entire nation of France and... Uh, Dr. Bro is still concerned about massive uh, energy shortfalls and uh, blackouts on a daily basis in Europe, potentially. So it's a, it's a huge concern. And then a couple of days ago, well, about a week ago, Belgium decided it was going to shut down. This See, this my brain fries when I hear things like this. Europe's in an energy crisis, energy deficit. And then Belgium decides it's going to close down a nuclear plant, energy plant, which is providing 10% of the energy for the whole country. How does that even remotely begin to make sense? And then sometimes I look at our country and I think, well, what are we doing? Let's get at this with our good friend, Dr. Chris Kiefer, president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy. Dr. Kiefer, thank you for joining us. You, you, uh, there was a petition that we sent to House of Commons petition. More than 10,000 people signed it. And uh, they're calling on the federal government to include nuclear energy within the green bond framework. So tell us, please, first of all, what's the green bond uh, framework? And, and what was the, how excited was the federal government about in, including you? Roy, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I mean, this green bond framework, essentially, it's a means to mobilize low-cost capital so that we can build the kind of large infrastructure projects necessary to enable an energy transition. If you think about any large piece of infrastructure we have, be it a bridge or a large hydro dam, you know, these are projects that are capital-intensive, take sometimes a decade to build. If you have low-interest capital, it's affordable. If you're paying 10% interest on that capital, it's not. Um, so, you know, this is a vehicle used around the world to mobilize that, that low-cost capital. And, you know, nuclear, for some strange reason, despite its proven climate um, benefits and other environmental benefits, was excluded um, in the federal legislation. You know, and that's thanks to our former Greenpeace uh, Environment and Climate Change Minister, Mr. Stephen Gilbo, also Christia Freeland, for whatever reason, went along with this. Um, we had this petition. It was the number two most popular petition in the economy and finance uh, department. Um, as you mentioned, 10,000 signatures. Um, and we were calling for nuclear to be included precisely so we can enable that low-cost capital to help get these vital bits of infrastructure built. Um, and, you know, we got a response to that petition. The government's mandated to give us a written response. Um, it was not encouraging, and it actually referenced Belgium as a country which um, explicitly excludes nuclear from their green bond. And you just mentioned, you know, how insane that decision that, was. That is just, I mean, that is thought challenged. That is fundamental thought challenged. It really is, you know, and it's it's not in keeping with modern developments in green finance. Um, the EU um, as a block just this July included nuclear within their green uh, sustainable finance taxonomy, making it eligible for that kind of low cost capital. Um, and South Korea. Um, the president of South Korea just visited Canada a week and a half ago. Um, their country just included it. So, you know, Canada has a choice um, to remain, you know, at the back of the pack um, with a lot of countries with very perplexing energy poli uh, policies, um, or it can lead. And we really should lead because we are a tier one nuclear nation. Nuclear energy is the second largest source of electricity in our grid. It is, of course, carbon free, really 
Um, you know, this has been extensively looked at. The whole life cycle from the mining to the building of the power plants, the decommissioning, it is the lowest source of CO2 electricity um, out there. So, again, really shocking um, that it's not included. That is not based on any scientific measure. It's based on old biases and, unfortunately, environmental groups um, who have a lot of influence within the green finance world. I just want to read a, a, a few two lines from the release you sent me. And it uh, references what you just said, but it, I, I, I need to read it because I don't understand it as well as you do. The role of nuclear energy, I do understand the role of nuclear energy, but you wrote, in our climate response should not be controversial. Canadian uranium used in nuclear reactors all over the world to produce carbon-free electricity displaces a jaw-dropping 260 megatons of CO2 per year, offsetting fully one-third of Canada's 730 megatons of all-sector annual emissions. That's all I'm going to read. But all I have to do is read that, and I'm thinking, why isn't the federal government saying... This is perfect. This is exactly what we're trying to accomplish. This is what we've been telling you we're trying to accomplish. But oh, no. It is bizarre, particularly because, you know, the West really abandoned a lot of their uranium mining, uranium refining, uranium enrichment. We have a huge opportunity to step into that. You know, Canada is the number three producer of uranium in the world. We could quickly jump up to number two. There's no reason that we shouldn't. You know, people think of the oil sands as the kind of bete noir of, you know, Canadian climate crimes. Um, you know, that's about 80 megatons per year added by the oil patch. Again, we offset 260 megatons, you know, more than three times that with, uh, with the uranium that's used in our domestic fleet as well as the global fleet around the world, which displaces coal and gas burning. So it's, it's unambiguous. Again, if, it's, if it wasn't for following... Um, the kind of uh, biases and, and sort of misinformation um, uh, of our decision makers, um, this, is, this is a real clear decision. I will note that those numbers, I mean, I, I, uh, this is back in the envelope math that I did. This isn't coming from the industry itself. You, one really um, is puzzled, I think, at the lack of, of communications. And I think it speaks to the fact that the whole you know, nuclear sector um, you know, almost suffers from a kind of battered wife syndrome where it's just not representing itself. You know, so it's strange that our, you know, volunteer nonprofit organization are the ones that are bringing these talking points forward. But it's it's because, you know, of the vital role that nuclear plays here and around the world in in our climate response, but also in, you know, being a a real positive economic force for this country. Well, exactly. I mean, there's a there's a climate uh, uh, component and there's a financial component at a time when the world is really concerned about slipping into global recession. Uh, it just it makes very little sense to me. It actually makes no sense to me. But the province of Ontario has taken a bit of a different position, and I think Canadians for Nuclear Energy had a lot to do with that. Tell us what uh, what Ontario is doing. So, uh, really exciting announcement, um, which again is in line with a policy report that we released in July. As far as we know, it was not being discussed seriously. Ontario, you know, faced a crisis. Um, our independent systems operator said, uh, oops, our bad. We actually anticipate we're going to need a lot more generation on the grid. Coincidentally, when the Pickering nuclear station was scheduled to come offline. To give your listeners some context, Pickering produces more electricity um, than all of our hydroelectric resources at Niagara Falls. And that was going to suddenly come offline in 2025. So we were advocating for a life extension of the plant to give us time to refurbish the plant. Um, you know, Canada Reactors, which is our national nuclear technology, has a 60 to 80 year lifespan, but that requires a midlife refurbishment, swapping out of the major parts. And we're doing that at other nuclear plants 
in New Brunswick and our two big plants in Ontario. We said, listen, in the context of rapidly increasing natural gas prices, the global energy crisis, um, and a electrification, you know, uh, boom, it makes no sense to close this plant down. Luckily, the government listened. I would say Ontario now has the most pro-nuclear government um, in the Western world. And, uh, you know, that's an amazing thing because, you know, we know every dollar that we invest in refurbishing these reactors generates a dollar forty in GDP growth. Because rather than tossing our money across the border and buying fracked natural gas, which is getting ever more expensive, and burning it in plants that use a skeleton workforce of, you know, 50 workers per plant, we're investing that in cheap Canadian uranium um, and nuclear facilities which employ thousands of high-skilled blue-collar and STEM professionals who go on to spend their good wages in their local economy. Um, it's just an enormous uh, economic stimulus. It's really the right thing to be doing in this, these troubled financial times. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.